Blog Talk Radio. too messed up for me to sing, but here we're back anyway. Uh, welcome from the People's Republic of Minnesota. Welcome to In the Closet Objectivist. I do I do think I sound a little better, though. I, I, we were talking about this earlier, Meg, and uh, I do think I sound, I feel, I feel a little bit better, too. I, I was getting a little more, pe- I got a little more pep in my step today, so to speak. So, um, yeah, so um, we're back, and I'm actually in the driver's seat today. Sorry. But Meg will be doing the driving uh, occasionally as well as Stuart. Stuart's going to get seasoned <laughs> up, and he's going to get in here, and he's going to do his thing. So she'll have uh, the uh, the hosting duty sometimes, and Stuart will do it too, and uh, we'll have uh, we'll, we'll mix it up a little. Because you are a masochist, Corey. That is the only reason I could come up with why I would ever be allowed to do this unsupervised. Yeah, that is part of my my I guess my uh, deal. Uh, is I like to be punished. I like pain. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, yeah, <laughs> I, I just uh, ever. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I know. So so, that, but that was fun last week, wasn't it, Meg? I I, I think you did a good job. I mean, I had thinking. a blast. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I like it in different different perspectives and different people get you know kind of get get control of the wheel so to speak you know get in uh, just take a look around you know maybe you know throw in a couple of uh, swear words or whatever I, I got in the sound bar you know and you can just go to town if you want yeah it doesn't count if the sound bar swears that's my view yeah exactly exactly. So, uh, welcome, Stuart. Uh, Aloha. Aloha. And uh, uh, so we are back, and I'm, you know, I'm uh, again. I'm driving the, the show this week, but again, uh, things might change, uh, and they will change from time to time. So, uh, welcome everybody, and uh, let's just get uh, into some stuff here. Um, first of all, I got them. I got. I got uh, something just popped in in, in my way here. Um, so uh, from the People's Republic of Minnesota, uh, welcome to the classes objectivists. And uh, you can tell I haven't been doing this for a while because I'm a little I'm a little bit off. So um, we are going to go ahead and get started on our our stuff here. Here we go. Housekeeping. No, thank you. Sleeping. Housekeeping. Come back in an hour. I'm giving you one towel. Our towels need sleepy. I'm giving you one in for pillow. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. And you can find us on um, the different apps and the different uh, the different uh, systems that we have on uh, on the the website here. Uh, we have you can find us on uh, Stitcher, iTunes, and the TuneIn uh, Radio app. Uh, also, you can uh, please follow along on Blog Talk or yeah, Blog Talk uh, Radio. Um, if you'd like to, that'd be great. Um, you could just simply find us there and plug in uh, in the closet objectivist, and you can find us right there. Um, what else do we have here? Oh. Um, also, if you would like to do so, we still do have a, uh, a Patreon uh, account. Uh, if you're interested in, you know, uh, donating to the fund, uh, that would be great. 
Otherwise, you don't have to do that either. You can just listen along. We appreciate any anyone that just listens to the show. It's great. It's fine. We love you. Uh, if you would like to help us out a little bit, pay some bills, you can do it there as well. So uh, that's in the closet. Uh, Objectivist uh, um, on, uh, on Patreon and uh, Facebook as well. Um, what else was I saying, Meg? <laughs> Uh, what else is that? No, sounds good to me, but you know that like I have I have roughly a thirty second um attention span for housework. It's pretty much the worst. Yeah, well, you know, it's you got you, you gotta commit uh to the bit, Meg, because we gotta get the people to listen. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. There's another we got a new listener and um you're gonna oh, have hey. to give me a minute. Yeah. So someone joined the, the joined us on in the closet, um, and it's a super long name. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to say thank you because it's a super long name, and it sounds pretty cool. But thank you for uh, for listening. Thank you for coming into the closet uh, on uh, on uh, on uh, on the the uh, uh, on the radio on the radio on the um, objectivist I, I, blog talk radio. In the closet, objectives. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a what a what a disaster there, Meg. Trying to introduce people. <laughs> Whoa, so, you're being um, way yeah. too hard on yourself, buddy. So so anyway, thank you. Um, and I think oh, you know what? I I was gonna I gotta tell you, Meg. I I, uh, I, I said this to you before we we started the the show. I, I didn't mm-hmm. come up with a. I tried like hell, man. But I couldn't come up with a, uh, a, uh, a name. Well, I'll go first, because honestly, I'm usually inspired by you. So maybe I can pay this back just a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, don't don't expect, like, Corey Baum levels of awesome when it comes yeah. to my fake news headline. I think I've conditioned everyone not to expect that. But um, so my fake news headline, the headline I wish was true, is that the – um, Iran Institute essay contests are now the most popular contests on the planet. Millions of entrants every year, and the great millions upon paid very well. <laughs> that, that, oh, that's that's good. That means I'm a pioneer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're following you, my lead. That's I don't great. want to say that you were doing it before it was cool because it was always cool, just that you knew before everyone else. Yeah, you know, that's actually how I first heard of the Ayn Rand Institute because this English teacher said, Oh, you like you're you like you're the one that likes Ayn Rand, right? Well, I got this weird thing in my in my mailbox and it was this brochure-looking thing about the Ayn Rand Institute essay contest, though it was only for the Fountainhead, because it was in high school. But, yeah, I was one of the... I entered the Atlas Drug essay contest, and I was one of the five third-place slot winners. So did you get any... What'd you get for that? I did get a cash prize. Rock on. And, and how did what, you spend it? Um, I don't remember. I, I well, I put it, I put it in the bank, so I guess I spent it on something. But I, I didn't splurge, although maybe, maybe yeah. I should have. I should have, I should have bought myself a present with it. A, a gold bar, or maybe yeah. a rhodium bar. Then you then there you'd you do go. like a. Like a double trendsetter. I mean, not that you're not, yeah. but yeah. Sorry, that's a like a little nod it's to a, um, one of our in the closet objectivists, Jonathan Honig, um, who. Uh, so I, I mean, I know we we plugged him before, but I think it's worth plugging again because I I really enjoy listening to him Tuesday mornings and um, um, when I can on Saturdays especially because he's got this like a live only show where he talks about um, having a philosophy for investing. Um, and uh, he, he <laughs> it was a couple of shows ago. Um, <laughs> I was just giggling when I saw this because he's ending his show and he's like, look, I don't 
I don't do investment recommendations. And as he's doing this, he's like blowing up an image of a rhodium bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really cute. I, I, I try to catch yeah. them when I can, but sometimes it's hard on, on, uh, on, uh, what, what, uh, Wednesday, I know Wednesdays on uh third, what is it? Uh, I can't Saturdays, yeah. Well, Saturdays. yeah, I mean, yeah, Saturdays, it's not like I'm at work and can just, you know, turn them on and listen while I'm, you know, elbows deep in microbes. You know, I'm I'm usually, um, you know, hanging out with Gracie, who's been up for many hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the time yeah. Jonathan comes on, um, yes, is the... You can imagine the busiest child that has ever been does not make it easy for mommy to just sit back and enjoy a nice podcast in the middle of the day, the middle yeah. of her day. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, but I, I've, I've caught him a few times and I like to listen to him when I get a chance. It seems like, uh, I get up and usually I, I, my, my one day that I can sleep in a little bit is, it's Saturday, so I try to, I try to try to sleep in a little bit. But uh, I catch him once in a while, and then other times, you know, I'll just uh, get up and hit the gym. A lot of times too, I just I got to get to the gym as soon as possible. And uh, sometimes I have to. Uh, I, I don't think he replays it, so I, you know, it's like you just get it or no, you don't. No, no, he 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 very deliberately does live only, which is um, I I do regret because, you know, he's got so much great content and. You know, I, I I'm never in a position where I'm where I can listen completely undistracted and take notes. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I regret that I can't you know go back and re-listen. Um, but yeah. I you know well, I get it, and well, it, I, you I, know I, it's, it's good even if it's only if I only get to hear it once. I I hope you heard what you said and he reconsiders. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Oh man, there's there's so much good stuff there. So, um, I mean, not only is there like really, I mean, it's really interesting to hear a lot of objectivist ideas about metaphysics and um, epistemology and even aesthetics, which you guys know is my favorite, um, from from an angle that's like completely different from how I'm used to thinking about objectivism, um, but just for like fun, he'll include stuff like a pilot to a show. Oh gosh, I, I want to say it was like in the '90s where he was like giving all this fashion advice. It was like literally the best <laughs> pilot I've ever seen. It was so great, and I can't say enough good things about it. <laughs> like, I you know why these gems are like buried in the annals of time I don't know you know what I mean like why Jonathan's got to hide his light under a bushel except for like half an hour every Saturday I don't know but so I'm going to have to take that up with him right yeah Um, Stuart you were taught you had brought up a bunch of different stuff I think uh, uh, when when I was looking for ideas for the show and do you what, what what were some of the ones that you were talking about? Running down? Well, two years ago, Finland tried the universal basic income. Okay. Uh, one of the most nauseating ideas I've heard in a long time, especially because a lot of people who call themselves free market libertarians um, extol it as an end in itself, which shows how pretty much pretty much pretty much people who call themselves free market people have given up. And so Finland tried it two years ago, and they're finally calling it quits. Although it's not entirely good news, it's not that they they've learned that on principle, tax and tax funded redistributions of wealth are bad. It's not that. It's that they favor a different welfare scheme over the universal basic income. And, and what what is that? Are they, they are they, it's just. They, the, no, the Finnish government said they would rather try something called universal credits, which has also been proposed okay. in the United Kingdom. Okay. And that is, like, what ex- exactly is is that? It's universal well, credits. Uh, it's, 
well, I guess they put more emphasis on tax rebates and, well, I'm not one to object to tax credits, but, you know, I mean, why why should they have this favoritism at all towards certain people? And, of course, they say, well, universal basic income is not favoritism, you know, because everyone will get universal basic income. Even if you're a billionaire, you receive a universal <coughs> basic income. But still, of course, it's favoritism because what people put in is not the same as what they get out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, what, well, it's, <clears throat> at least they're, they're ending it in Finland, although, you know, not, not entirely for the best reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the universal basic uh, income is, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't make much sense, you know, uh, it, what is it like? It, it's like, uh, how much money is it even? Like, what would you get? Like, it, it's, uh, what is it like? I don't even know. How much money would you get? You know what I mean? If you're just, if you're just an average, whatever person, so you're not getting any money up, but you're just getting whatever the universal basic income is. What is, what is that? How much is it? Um, well, that, that it depends on. Well, that's something that all the advocates of the universal basic income they haven't settled on that. Oh. Okay. But you I can be rest assured like... that whatever they decide on, eventually they'll say it's not enough. That's what that 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 part is clear. Yeah. yeah. They say two thousand dollars a month, even if there was no currency devaluation, even if there was no inflation, you know there there, there would soon come a day when they say two thousand dollars a month is not enough. Because it's never enough, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just like yeah, it's just like uh, it's just like any uh, any any other uh, entitlement. It's never going to be enough. So yeah, no, uh, I, I understand that. I mean, yeah, it sucks, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hear you. What else do you have on that? Anything else or? Well, well, I, that shows a huge difference between me and a lot of people who call themselves libertarians, especially at the Cato Institute, at the American Enterprise Institute, at the Recent Foundation, because they're actually for that. And they say they say we should support universal basic income as a replacement for welfare. And I thought and I want to scream at them that's weird. What's your definition of welfare? This is a replacement for welfare? I, I thought the the word welfare in the political economic context meant the government takes money from some people and gives it to others, and the yeah. purpose is to serve, is to satisfy their needs. So isn't that the whole rationalization for the universal basic income? So how is this a replacement for welfare? And actually, their answer is, well, what we mean by this is that uh, the current welfare state, with all the programs like the Social Security and temporary assistance for needy families at the federal level, which used to be called the uh, family and children, and the Social Security insurance for the disabled. Say, so let's 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 just let's get rid of all of that and replace it with universal basic income. And this is good as an end in itself because you say you want this perfect night Washington state, you want this perfect constitutional Republican night Washington state where there's compulsory taxation. And the government only protects you from force and fraud. Well, you know, get over it. Okay? It's never going to happen. Just, just give up. Just give up. The welfare state is never going away. This is from Kale Institute people. And it's from Charles yeah. Just give up. Okay? You want an elite government intervention in your life, yeah. then you have to sell for a smaller welfare state. A, a smaller regulatory entitlement state. And that's what Universal basic income does. Yeah. So just give up. You know, I, I'm just well, I'm, I'm, if I can interrupt you for a second. I mean, this that sounds so. I mean, I don't think jaded is really the right word. I was going to say defeated, which clearly yeah. indicates that these people need to listen to our show <laughs> all the time. On a loop. Well, They'd say we're the naive ones. We're we're the ones who hobnob with um, hobnob with all the politicians in D.C. Like, 
like, I so I met this girl who who I'm no longer wrong. surprised that they're defeated. I mean, that's I, I know, like I met this like girl. She was I met this girl who was originally from Oahu. She's from my island, and then she was in, she was actually inspired to go to D.C. to work for the Kiel Institute, and and when I came back, I finally met her when she came back, and the whole thing was her name dropping. This is like, oh, you know, for, you know, I, 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 I had breakfast with Great Easterbrook from the New Republic, and then at, at lunchtime, I got, I got to have lunch with Tom Friedman from the New York Times, and then dinner time, I, I got to, I, I got to meet Alan Greenspan, isn't it great? And then the next day, uh, for, uh, and the next day, I had breakfast with, so that was the whole thing, and I'm like, oh my God, she's gone native, and, and she was yeah. one of the first people who told me, just, just get over yourself, okay? You have to sell for having a welfare state. You know, just deal with it. That's reality. As far as she was concerned, it's metaphysical reality. And she said to me, oh, by the way, you objectivists hate Immanuel Kant, but actually uh, objectivism is a ripoff of Immanuel Kant. I was like, what? (laughs) Only in the sense that not at all. (laughs) Right. Well, now I know why she thinks that. But, I mean, it, 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 it... I mean, it relies on a huge misunderstanding of of objectivism. But now, now I know why she would say that. But it's because um, Immanuel Kant poses as the true advocate of an objective morality, which is actually arbitrary. But he, he's posing an object. He says he's for an objective morality. He's for well, yeah, object- he says he's all about science, but his whole, I mean, his whole explicit purpose for creating this philosophy was to resurrect faith and religion because he got picked on as, as a kid because his parents were religious and I guess his friend's parents weren't or something. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, he says a lot of things, none of which are true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I guess that explains... But you find explains, a point on it. I, I guess that explains why a lot of the D.C. libertarian think tanks, especially in the Coke Network, are pretty much of... Um, you know, they, they pretty much they they, they think you make they, they think being principle makes you a rigid you know a rigid you know a rigid Catholic school you know guy something is Bible at you that's what they think objectives are <laughs> you know they think that's what yeah. a principle itself is you know just being some rigid guy just thumping his well, okay rule book at you guys you. are gonna have to explain this to me because I'm genuinely puzzled by this. Um, you know, clearly the people you're referring to, sir, have a very negative view of idealists, right? We we cleave yeah. to ideas. We we think they are they are universally ap- applicable. Um, if they have such a negative view of ideas and the people who cleave to them, why would they care about promoting? any ideas like why would that be their job i'm like am i way off base for asking that question well no no but i I think it's platonism but yeah like ayman talks about in the in um her play ideal where where the 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 cynical guy the cynical painter guy he thinks he's an idealist but of course he's a cynic but he says you know the reason we have ideals is that they give us something to work toward but it's not as if we're ever going to reach that point. It's just something we just we just we we aim for a certain ideal and we work toward it. You know, because it gives us something to do before we die. But it's not as if we're ever going to get there. And and I think you know, like um like in that um song, you know, to dream the impossible dream. You know, of course, you know, according to that mindset, impossible dream is redundant. If it's your dream, by definition, it has to be impossible. But you work for that anyway because it gives you something to do before you die. Hmm. Oh, I'm going to stop you right there and ask you to keep singing because this is the first time I've heard you sing. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I've been begging you both to do karaoke forever. Yeah. I've gotten pretty much nowhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. it depends on the song. Have to do that. That's my impossible dream. You guys will actually, you know, oblige me with karaoke. 
Well, I mean, it depends on the song. Like, if it's um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, then maybe. Yeah. We could do that. Well. <laughs> Try to solve. You can do acapella, right? You don't want to hear me sing right now. <laughs> now, once my voice gets better in another week or so, I'll be good to go. But i got to hold off. We'll let Stuart take over for now. Right. But next week, watch the hell out, Meg. <laughs> promises, promises. <laughs> so, Stuart, where, where, we, uh, where were we at with your thought there? I, I don't know if we well, ended that or not. Well, so, so um, the, Dr. Brooke actually goes much easier on those guys than I do. Because he says... <laughs> okay. Because he said, well, there are, there are some circumstances where he might actually favor that. On He would, he would favor um, a UBI on the condition that it actually oh, yeah, does replace all the other programs. This is just a transitional. This is just a transitional phase. It's just to help people get, you know, from where we currently are to where we should be. Yeah, I've heard that. So, so, so he said he'd favor UBI if it replaces all the other programs, and they're sort of like they're like training wheels to help us get us to be self-sufficient where there is no regulatory entitlement state at all. But I see the problem with that is that when I talk when I talk to the DC think tank people, I think they really do favor favor the UBI as end in itself. Especially like that Matt Zulinski guy from Bleeding Heart Libertarians. I think their attitude really is, you know, just, yeah, just as I said before, just give up. You have to accept some of that. It's just so, yeah. so basically being a libertarian now means just we have to accept the regulatory intelligence. It's just we don't have to accept it as much as we do. We just accept less of it. Oh, and by yeah. the way, that, that's yeah, like, but there's no what's the standard though? You know, I mean, what is the standard exactly? Well, well you know, the, the regulatory, well, the constitutional liberal Republican night watchman say it's a standard. That's a standard, but it's the ideal. But it's not as if we're going to get there. It's the impossible dream. It's fighting uh-huh. the unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow. To follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far. You know what I'm not hearing right now? <laughs> Singing. <Yeah>. Melody. <laughs> well, 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 if I did, well, if I did, it would be so fantastic that we get a copyright strike and then this would be taken down. So I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Nice dodge. Nice dodge. <laughs> Nobody's buying that. Well, well that, that reminds me. So I have three cat. I, I, I did blog posts about this, and I see there are three categories. There are principal free marketers, and there are the radical welfare status. Like principal free marketers, I think are like Ayn Rand, 19th century um, philosopher named Oberon Herbert. You might have read about him in the Objective Standard. Big Biddle wrote about him. And, and oh, radical welfare status like uh, Paul Krugman and uh, Thomas Piketty. And in the middle is a category I call fiscal tightwad. And hey, Meg, are you ready for a, go to go camping or something? Or <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm I um I'm putting together Gracie's lunch. <laughs> that's you're getting ready for to go camping. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stuart. You're gonna have to go. go I'm sorry. We got we got sidetracked. Oh, so fiscal oh. tight wads are are basically are people who do not challenge the moral premise behind the, the, the existence of a regulatory entitlement state. They don't have any ethical objections to it at all. They're, um, they just, to them, this is not a difference in kind. This is a difference in degree where they say, okay, we need to have a regulatory entitlement state. It's how much of a regulatory entitlement state do we have? Because now the dosage of it is too high. So we, need to yeah. shrink the, we, need to, we still need to have it, but we have to shrink the dosage of it. Yeah. And I would say, Ronald Reagan goes in this category. Calvin Coolidge goes in this category. Paul Ryan, although in Paul Ryan's case, he, he actually just gives lip service to this position. 
He doesn't even try to shrink government spending. Hey, by the way, did so uh, Yuan say he would be he would be for the 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 UBI if there was nothing like that was it like that was what you got and he would he would eliminate if you eliminate everything else wasn't that it? Well, he said if it's a trans if it's a transitional thing where it helps ease yeah. people where it's temporary where you help where he would support if it's temporary. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So I think yeah. He he was saying get rid of all entitlements, replace it with UBI, with the intention of sunsetting the UBI so that there were zero entitlements. I th- think that's where he was going with that, all that. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting because he had sort of a similar idea for education, whereas um, Brad Thompson, um, another intellectual, I really admire. Um, yes. And his passion is, is education, and uh, at least one of them. And, you know, this is something where, where um, Brad and Euron really disagreed, apparently, um, that, you know, Brad wants to eliminate all government schools, whereas Euron would be fine kind of moving to a charter system and then to completely privatize education. Um, Brad's concern there, if I, I hope I'm recapitulating it correctly, um, was that, you know, the, that any kind of halfway measure between um, government schools and, and privatization would make the schools better and give people an excuse to perpetuate, um, you know, compulsory education, government schools, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it, it would, in effect, he's concerned that it would it would perpetuate the bad system. It wouldn't be quite as awful, but it would still be immoral, right? Yeah. Um, compulsory education, in his view, and, and in mine, is is immoral, um, yep. as is Agreed. compulsory taxation, um, for the same reason, really. Um, so, yeah. I, so. So it's like either eliminated or I, I don't. Right, and and to be honest, I find. Both your own pro- approach of, of of a more gradual move towards freedom, uh, deliberate but gradual, um, yeah. and um, you know Brad's approach of you know just you know really going for the the final goal. I I find them both compelling. Both. I yeah. don't have. I, I mean, to be honest, I can't really say much more than that because I don't know which is the proper approach. I, I wish I did, but I just wanted to illustrate that, you know, I think it, it looks like in general Yaron's approach is, is to move gradually. And he's talked to a lot of people in a lot of walks of life all around the world. Um, perhaps that is the only feasible way of, of doing things. I, I, who am I to say, right? Like, I'm well-traveled. Yeah. I am not as well-traveled <laughs> as your own Brooks. Um, right. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, I don't know that there's a real easy – there's not going to be an easy answer. I mean, we both we, – we both <laughs> – I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, we both could be – they could both, both be right and both be wrong, you know, and, and whatever, not both be wrong, but both be right just to degrees – uh, on which to, to do it, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Stuart, you were going to say something. Go ahead. Well, yeah, you know, that, that reminds me there are lots of people, lots of Republicans and conservatives that think charter schools are good as an end in themselves. Say, so, yeah, we don't like the teachers' union, blah, 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 you know, the government school teachers' union, we hate that. So let's have charter schools. And when we do the end, end game, you know, that, that's, that's, their, that's their cure-all, that's their magic bullet. And that I think that's a, that's the same thing with the fiscal tightwads like Calvin Coolidge, where they can't imagine a world without a regulatory entitlement state, and they won't want to live in a world that has no regulatory entitlement state. It's just it's just that the dosage level currently is too high, so we have to shrink the dosage level. And you know, which is like saying, oh, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like saying, oh, oh, the the, the pandemic, the pandemic is spread too much. So let's just, you know, let's just uh, confine it to this area, you know. And I guess I'd rather have a pandemic confined, but it'd be better if it wasn't there at all, you know. 
And yeah, once again, we crazy idealists would prefer everyone to be healthy. And that's yeah. what we're working towards. You know, and I'm speaking both literally and metaphorically here, but for some reason that brands me as, as you know, naive and out of touch, I guess. You see, you see I think that the, you see, so basically the, the radical left has this idea. They say, oh, you know, Ayn Rand and Ronald Reagan are on the same side. They're the same category because they both want to reduce spending, or at least they say they do. So they're on the same side. So, so they put the fiscal tight wads with the radical free marketers in the same category. But it's actually not true. It's not, it's not the radical welfare states versus the combined forces of the, of the principal free marketers and the fiscal tight wads. Rather, it's the, it's the principal free marketers versus the combined forces of the radical welfare states and fiscal tightwads, because they both agree with each other on principle that there has to be a regulatory entitlement state. They're only squabbling over how intrusive it, it should be, but they don't disagree with that that intrusion ought to be there. See, so I, I, I was yeah, just thinking about like how um, how that's a very good example of not integrate. I mean, they can you know saying that. Ayn Rand and Ronald Reagan were the same is an excellent example of how one is this is this is misintegration right <clears throat> integrating based on non-essentials um, so if I can draw a parallel I actually got to see a, a couple of episodes of a TV show I mean that in itself is kind of amazing it's called Lost in Space um, it's, so it's, it's a remake I guess of, a, of an older show yep. But I thought it was really well done. Um, and the, um, the, the villain is, is clearly, at the very least, sociopathic, right? Something we, we know a little bit about on this show. Um, and at one point, she, you know, she's done, like, horrible things. She's literally murdered. Um, and um, at one point pretty late on into the season, she says, but I'm a good person. And she says, you know, she gives these reasons why, and, you know, it, it amounts to I never intended for anyone to get hurt, you know what I mean? And I, was, and I saw that, I was like, okay, once again, not integrating by essentials, right? Like you're taking yeah. these drawmen examples and using that to misintegrate to good person, like not even close. Um, so I, I don't know. Is that a, like a useful? <laughs> is is that a useful parallel I've made there? Yeah, and I mean, and I think this is why this is why um, I think that the fiscal tight wads will never succeed in the long term in in even even so much as shrinking the regulatory entitlement state a little because their arguments are so weak. It, you know, because the in order, I think in order to even to shrink the regulatory entitlement state, not even to abolish it, but just to shrink it, you have to explain why it's bad on principle. And that's not what the fiscal tight wads do. Like you, you see this this whole fuss about you know, immigrants come just immigrants are bad because they come to you know to to um get government spending. They should get handouts. And that's so unfair because it's the native-born people who should be getting those government handouts. Why should it? Why should the government handouts go to the foreign-born people? It should go to the native-born people. Yeah. And... Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the fiscal tightwad... That's the fiscal tightwad attitude is... Um, the whole problem with all these foreigners coming and going on welfare is that they will exacerbate... exacerbate... The, the welfare state will drain all the government coffers, and we'll have to face the, the unsustainability of it sooner rather than later. By contrast, if you have a welfare state to block all the immigrants, you know, they will still have a welfare state. There will still be a, a regular government transfer, and there, there's still, in the long run, there's still a temptation for people to, re to, be, to be on the receiving end of the handouts rather than on the contributing end. But if we, we, we block all the immigrants, at least 
you know, doomsday will come much slower. The inevitable self-destruction of the welfare state will be postponed. And that's right. why that's why we should block all, all the immigrants. And of course, so so basically, they want to save the welfare state. You know, they 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 they're like saying that the junkies shouldn't have to, the junkies shouldn't have to hit rock bomb early, and <laughs> quit cold turkey early. No, no, postpone that. Postpone the junkie having to hit rock bomb and face reality sooner. No, let the junkie face reality later rather than sooner. That's the fiscal tightwad position. Yeah. And, 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 what a gruesome picture you painted. Yeah, yeah, junkies and yeah, well. yeah, yeah, but yeah, we see the, their whole thing is they want to prolong the problem. They want to prolong evil. They rather they want rather than it facing its inevitable inevitable conclusion sooner. Right. And so yeah. that's why I think there's this. That's why I think there's a huge conflict between the, the principal free marketers and you know the category I think of as just fiscal tightwads. So I think in the long run we're not really on the same side. And I think a lot of this they call this movement infighting. Why is there so much why is there so much movement infighting you know between libert why are objectivists having so much movement infighting against uh you know against libertarians and conservatives and the anti immigration you know, people who say they're objectivists. But I think it's not movement inspiring at all. <laughs> I think it's people realizing that they're not, I think it's, what's really going on is a lot of objectivists are realizing they're actually not in fundamental agreement with right. a lot, with the fiscal tightwads. They're not, their, their goals aren't even adjacent to one another. Radical, mm-hmm. free, the principal free marketers want in the long term to have a free society. And the fiscal tightwads Want to have an unfree society? Just they want to have, to have an unfree society that can sustain that that goes on longer, because they know that if the welfare state regulatory intelligence state gets too big, it will destroy itself. So in order to prolong the existence of this unjust type of uh, political economic economic system, they want to put the brakes on it a little. You know, I yeah. hope this isn't too much of a tangent. Um, but I, I have this question, and I, I'm hoping you guys can help me with the answer. Um, cause I'm sure you guys have noticed this, right, that, um, you know, with regards to the universal basic income, you know, there's, I don't know if it's related to this idea that, you know, you're not successful if, you, if you're not making <coughs> – buckets of money if you're not a millionaire you, you you know what I mean like and again this goes oh, I hate to reference this but this goes back to like the stupid romance books I fall asleep to right uh, like you know it's almost never that the the, the you know um, the fantasy guy isn't the billionaire it, it's amazing how many you know if there were if only there were that many billionaires in real life as there are in fantasy novels I guess yeah. um <laughs> but like, so it's a very different attitude from how it was, you know, a hundred or two hundred years ago, where, you know, a person could, typically a man back then, um, you know, might be doing a a a, and I hate to even use this term, but like a blue collar job, like might be a bricklayer, right? But that wasn't that was enough take home income to support. Um, a spouse and a number of children, and to to be very satisfied that they that the work that they were doing was important um, and so valuable that they could they could support themselves and their family, um, which I thought was just such a beautiful and benevolent attitude. If if I can make a parallel to my own life, like I don't know what my parents. Made. They're retired now. I, I have no idea what they made. It's really none yeah. of my business. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure they, they both make more in retirement than I do now. Right. <laughs> my mom especially yeah. has always been the the big breadwinner, and I'm so yeah. proud of her. Right? I have no idea what she makes, but she yeah. clearly kicked ass at her profession. <clears throat> um, and is well remunerated, and I'm I'm very proud of her. And I will probably never make as much as she did when she retired. Um, and I don't care. 
because right. I would never, not for a day, want to do what she does, right? Like, I, I mean, you guys know, I, I don't understand. Like, I'm very grateful that there are people who want to do something other than molecular biology. I can't explain it. Right. <laughs> Glad they do. Sure. <laughs> but, like, clearly, I don't have any, you know, it doesn't matter how much they make. I have no interest in doing that. It would, you know, I would I would want to scratch my eyeballs out every right. time I went to work, which, you know, has never been the goal for me. So I'm just, what happened? What what happened where, you know, m- making enough to support yourself and your family and doing something you found deeply satisfying just wasn't enough? And it somehow became possible to make buckets of money, even if it was something you despise. Um, or, as an alternative, um, expecting someone else to do your job of supporting yourself and your family. Like, that those somehow became <clears throat> the only alternatives. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm completely yeah. blathering right now. Well, no, I, uh, I have to I have to admit that I interpreted it differently. I thought that it really wasn't about the romance novels. I thought it wasn't really about the man being able to support the woman. Although I think I think uh, romance writers traditional I mean traditionally expect that. But I thought him being a billionaire more has to do with him having a high social status. And it's not that he's rich and can give you give the protagonist stuff. It's not just that's not good enough. It's that he's richer than everyone else. Like, like, yeah, like I mean, marrying the prince. Well, I like, mean, uh, I guess I can't really prince. say because, again, I usually fall asleep. So, <laughs> from what I have gleaned in my my twilight consciousness is that, or my semi consciousness is that, um, I mean, it's not even about the social status, right? Because, you know, the books are never about, like, how you know the the protagonists interact with each other's friends. I mean that you know it's pretty much exclusively between the two people, um, and maybe a foil. Um, it you know like yeah I I, I don't know why that's not an essential that these people are billionaires. I mean a lot of times it doesn't even involve spending a lot of money on the part of one character or another. Um, so I, I really couldn't tell you what the appeal is supposed to be for these characters, but there's a lot I can't really explain. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, people don't think about these characters, you know, they don't, they don't really think about, oh, they just think, well, I, I, you know, I, I got a bunch of money and. <clears throat> and uh, they don't really care where it came from. They don't really care about, you know, um, how it's how it's you know how it was earned, whatever. It's just a lot of people just they don't think about the pride that it actually that that it would take in order to actually obtain what it is that you want through your own through your own work through your own effort. And I think that. People are looking for shortcuts a lot of times, you know, in, in this kind of uh, world, I don't know, if you will. That, uh, And they, they don't – I don't know that a lot of people take a lot of time in their, in, in their effort, their work, their, their, their lives. And I think that people can be conditioned, I guess, to a certain extent to just accept – what it is that they, what they, whatever they get or whatever they earn, whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think that, uh, that I would be happy without having some sort yeah, of purpose. I mean, you, I mean, do you suppose this relates <clears throat> to the phenomenon of adulting? I mean, people talking about how adulting is hard, right? Like just, right getting out of bed and going to work. And that, I'm sure we've all had days like that where you're feeling yeah. sick or, like, you're overwhelmed by the data you're getting or what, whatever, right? Like yeah, yeah. Some, yep. 
some days it's harder to build up momentum than others. I totally get that. But, like, it it's like something people advertise, right, that they, like, that they're not very good at taking care of themselves. Yeah, they just want, you know they they want someone mean, to take care. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of waiting it's, for. Yeah, but I mean, do you think that relates that, like, that this idea of not, you know, please, cherishing please. the work that they do that you do relates to like n- not being very functional and and not. I mean, it's a very different attitude to say, yeah, I, I take good care of myself. You know what I mean? I kick ass at life. Um, well, and, you know, the, well, when, the attitude is like adulting is hard. Well, when people, well, I have to admit, I've, I've never seen it that way, but I've seen it in this weird self-effacing humor type of way where people say, oh, I finally did this. I finally hashtag adulting. Hee hee. You know, I'm finally, I, I did this in the, I finally did this, so I'm fi- I finally did adulting today. Hee hee. You know, sort of self-effacing. Yeah. Yeah. But this reminds me, I want something I wanted to ask Dr. Brooke about. Um, I I think it's, uh, so it reminds me, um, so, you know, basically cavemen had it really tough, you know. You know, you know, cavemen had life really tough. The infant mortality rate was about 25%. And, you know, and like I see it come across a lot of revisionist people trying to say, well, you know, you know. You know, you, you like to say that the average lifespan among cavemen was 35, but that's only because the infant mortality rate was high. If you lived beyond the first year, you'd reach, you know, you'd get to, um, you'd live to 80 years old. But actually, no, that's not true either. When an archaeologist no, looks through the average rate of cavemen, they don't find 80-year-olds. So, actually, no, <laughs> people did die as young adults in those times. So, they yeah. had a really rough. So Dr. Brooke mentions how poverty is the default. You know, as Ayn Rand said it, you know, capitalism did not create poverty; it inherited poverty from the previous types of society. So, and so, we'll, and we look at things today about how things are getting better, how the infant mortality rate keeps going down. You know, literacy is up. All, all these diseases are being fought, even in the poor countries. Even in the poor countries, there's measurable objective progress. So there's all this improvement. And it's so, and when you when you consider how poverty is the default, that's where cavemen started out. What we have today is amazing. It's amazing, and and yet you see all this whining on Twitter. Oh, capitalism, blah blah blah. Capitalism, you know, is um, stealing from you and all that. <clears throat> so I want to ask Dr. Brooke about this because I want to ask him because you know because Don Watkins, formerly of ARI, wrote about this. Call it the Garden of Eden fallacy. Where he says, how when you look at all the buns created through capitalism, how can you possibly say capitalism makes you poorer? How can you say capitalism extracts stuff from you? How can you say capitalism is about some greedy guy chomping on a cigar, wearing a top hat, taking stuff away from you? How, Isn't how can it you about say that? It? It? It's because it's not the garden. It's not Eden. When you look at all the wealth that we have, all the improvements in living standards. You know, that looks it's still inferior if you compare it to Eden. And I think it's very similar to how, you know, people say, Oh, you know, man is so fallen, man you know, human nature is so bad and so corrupt, you know, fallen from grace and you ask them why. What what's so bad about how do you say humans are bad compared to what? They say, Well to Jesus. You know, right. man is crummy because yeah. he's not Jesus, he's not God. You know, he doesn't live up to this arbitrary standard, which is not even a real standard because it has no limits. So it has no limits, so therefore it has no real definition. It has no real character. It has no identity. It's just better than you. It's arbitrary, arbitrary, undefined, better than you, without any parameters. And that's the same thing as Eden. Eden is this arbitrary, Eden is this arbitrary um, boundless, better than capitalism. So I think that's why, yeah. no matter how things improve, people will always dump on capitalism. The funny part is how they think their status measures are <laughs> are this grand foil <clears throat> better than capitalism. I think it's funny because 
it's not as if they're safe measures, you know, compared to Eden either. I guess that's the faith part. You know, in a religious in religious fanaticism, people always rely on faith. So just as people have faith in Jesus, when people talk about crummy capitalism is how their faith measures will make everything better, that's their faith not well, and you'll never you'll never get over that as long as that is your standard. You know, you're you're, you're not you'll never overcome. Oh, these people will never overcome that when that is the standard. When when that is the way that they they view themselves, they view you know religion, they view whatever. You can't. It's a whole. You have to do a whole another. You have to do a whole 180, man, you know, uh, of your thinking. You know, in order you know to, I uh, actually have a pertinent quotation from Ayn Rand from Atlas Shrugs. I think that really captures just just how backwards this, this notion of, you know, we used to live in the Garden of Eden and, and now with capitalism, um, health is, is, you know, somehow declined. Um, so, the, again, this is from Alice Shrugged, quote, What is the nature of the guilt that your teachers call his original sin? What are the evils men acquired when he fell from the state they consider perfection? Their myth declares that he ate, from, ate this fruit of the tree of knowledge. He acquired a mind and became a rational being. It was the knowledge of good and evil. He became a moral being. He was sentenced to earn his bread by his labor. He became a productive being. He was sentenced to experience desire. He acquired the capacity of sexual enjoyment. The evils for which they damn him are reason, morality, creativeness, joy, all the cardinal values of his existence. It is not his vices that their myth of man's fall is designed to explain and condemn. It is not his errors that they hold as his guilt but the essence of his nature as man. Whatever he was, that robot in the Garden of Eden who existed without mind, without values, without labor, without love, he was not man. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect. That's perfect. I mean, that's exactly everything. I, I Yeah, that's it's great. I mean, it's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and I mean, just to kind of, you know, I find this idea of the myth of the Garden of Eden really interesting because I, you know, in my profession, I encounter, you know, discussions of, um, it's not called global warming anymore, it's called climate change. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, it's essentially, it, again, it, it counts on this idea that we used to live in this Garden of Eden and then capitalism happened and now we're destroying the earth because of capitalism. And, you know, to be honest, you know, I didn't realize um, how, how, I mean, I, I knew that people didn't live very long before the Industrial Revolution. Um, I thought it was mostly because they just couldn't eat. You know what I mean? And then and that's certainly true. But I didn't realize how dirty it was to burn inefficient fuels like wood just to keep yourself warm. I didn't realize how how detrimental it was to one's health because there was so much horse urine because we didn't have automobiles. Like horse urine was yeah. like a serious health hazard. You don't think about those things, right? Because it's not like it's perceptually obvious anymore. Um just, I mean, it's just stuff like that. I mean, you know, without really without knowing a little bit about history, how would you know, really? Um, but yeah, we, you know, even like a hundred years ago, the way people lived was disgusting. To say nothing of like five hundred years ago. I mean, in the dark ages, you know, families would. You know, they would all sleep together with their animals just to keep warm. And, and every few years, they'd have a lean year where they'd have to, like, sell their clothes to eat. So they'd all be sleeping together naked with their animals and trying to, you know, just trying to keep warm. I mean, it's, it's hard to really 
hold on and, to that idea that Earth was and, this perfect paradise that gave us everything. And with um, that, we have to wrap it up, Meg. We are out of time. I'm sorry, but I'm blathering anyway. <laughs> we'll start out next weekend. See ya. Mahalo. Mahalo. Here's we got guys. kicked off. We got kicked off, so we're done. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll talk to you later. <laughs>